<laughs> Thank you so much, guys, for that beautiful song. There's some uh, words that I, I noticed in what you were singing there that I think um, are very pertinent to, what, to the message of the day. You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened, for I have news for you. It's no secret what God can do. And uh, friends, there may be those of you who are here today who uh, have that struggle going on in your life, your courage to renew. Um, uh, You never walk alone. There's another beautiful phrase um, within that. Mm, Thank you so much. We've been focused on a a series of, of recent times called The Good Old Gospel. And uh, not only is it the, the good gospel of the, of the New Testament, but also of the Old Testament. And we've been looking at some of the stories of the Old Testament where the gospel is, is, is very pronounced. And I uh, hope you've been enjoying the series. We, we um, feel quite challenged by it because it's coming to an end and, uh, and there's so many more stories that we could be sharing uh, from, from the Old Testament that really give a, a very clear picture of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to um, thank you, Linnell, for your, your children's story as well, and, and um, we want to follow on from, from that story where there was this in, incredible fireworks display uh, that took place, and uh, I want you to turn in your scriptures, if you wouldn't mind, to 1 Kings chapter chapter 19, where this story continues. 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll be reading from verses 1 uh, through to 18. And before we go there, let me just pause and invite um, the presence of God to guide our thoughts. Father God, uh, thank you so much for this time that we can share in honouring you in worship. You are the great God, and you are our God. And Holy Spirit, we just invite your, your, you to guide our thoughts as we reflect on your scripture now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, yes, open, hope you got your scripture open. It will be on screen, but that's for people at home. We want you to, um, to uh, have the Bibles open and be looking at it for yourself. So when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done including the way he'd killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there, and then he went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. 
Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more or, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. And so he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a, uh, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his clock and cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Deja vu. He replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abilmeholo, um, to replace you as my prophet. Um, anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. Wow, quite a story there. And um, it's a, um, a follow-on. Now, I've, I've missed out part because at the end of, uh, of chapter 18... Following on from, from, from this experience that Elijah had, and what an incredible experience of, of God's presence, very real presence with him, uh, Elijah had. And from there, he, um, he, went with, um, he went with Ahab. The rain, the, the rain was on its way, and, and he went with Ahab all the way back to Jezreel, and he actually ran in front of Ahab's ch chariot, now, we say Jehu was a fast driver, but I, um, Elijah must have been a fast runner because uh, here he is, an, an elderly man by this stage, and yet he ran in front of, of that chariot, um, guiding the chariot all the way back to Jezreel, which was the, the then capital of Israel. Why did he go to, back to Jezreel? I dare say that Elijah was anticipating a massive turnaround on the part of Israel as a result of the Carmel fireworks that had taken place. 
And, and by being in Jezreel, he could be then at the, at the hub of the activity of everyone turning back to God, the Lord of Israel, as their, as their God. And so there was this sense of anticipation, I suspect, on Elijah's part, that, um, that things were going to change and that, uh, and, and, and that uh, everyone would t- t- turn to God. But then he gets this text message from, from, um, from, from the Queen of Sheba, uh, not the Queen of Sheba, um, the, the, the Queen saying, well, it, well, it's in the text, and it was a message from the Queen. And, and, and she's saying that... Um, before the night's out, before the day's out, you're gonna, you, 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 will be, um, you will be dead. You know, it's amazing to me that from all of what's taken place here, from the lack of fear that Linnell mentioned on Elijah's part of, of facing that whole nation of Israel and facing King Ahab, that, that with, this, with this message from Jezebel is an incredible sense of despair that, that floods in. On, on Elijah, and and he um, he is. Um, what do you do when you're filled with fear? You you um, you 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 run. In his despair, he runs, and he runs for his life into the wilderness. Till finally he comes to a broom tree. It's um, sometimes called a gauze uh, bush or uh, or even a juniper tree and it can grow to about 12 feet tall Um, not a lot of shade but certainly some shade uh, from the desert heat it notes there in in um, in the scripture that it was a solitary a solitary broom tree quite quite um, symbolic of the loneliness that's there for um for for elijah uh, going through this experience and you think, you know, it's almost like, how can it be that you go from this incredible high to this incredible low? And let me tell you, it easily happens. You talk to any preacher, and it often happens for us um, in, in our ministry, where we have a high of, of, of sharing with you on Sabbath and, and, and feel an incredible low on, on, on um, you know, f- following it. And, and I must admit, I, I, I went through a bit of a low this week um, following, you know, my dad, dad's passing and, and uh, the feeling of, um, of loss there. But also a sense of, you know, we, we are challenged here at Springwood in terms of our, 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 our volunteers and, and having a willingness on the part of our church family to be involved. And I mentioned that at the start of our worship here today. And, and that was filling me with a sense of, a, a sense of inadequacy in terms of my ministry um, to you, to, that, that, we're, that we're not all you know, willing to, to, to be involved and to be sharing in our community. And I was feeling this sense of loss, and this story came to me during the week. And, 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 and the journey that, that Elijah had, I, I identified with that. And out of it came this incredible um, experience of, of knowing that God is there with us on our journey. And, um, and so, hence, I wanted to share it with you um, here today. When despair demoralizes, what do we do? And what does God do? 
because we see in what God does another incredible depiction of the gospel at work in human lives. So what's his great sadness? What's his despondency about? Well, firstly, he's alone, like that solitary broomed tree. But perhaps even more than that, he's disappointed. He's disappointed in his own lack of resilience and staying power. You know, he gets this message from Jezebel and he's on the run. Why didn't I hang in there um, through that? What, what is it that's brought this on where I feel um, in despair and, um, and feeling like dying? But he hasn't also, he, he, he feels that he hasn't been able to bring about this reformation in the land of Israel. And perhaps he's feeling a loss of, of his ministry um, skills, his prophetic skills, in not being, able to, um, not being able to bring this about. But I wonder if there's something more in his despondency as well. That he's feeling that God hasn't come to the party. That... Yes, this action has taken place, but I, he was expectant that all of Israel would turn back to God, and God hasn't pulled this off for him. And so there perhaps there's a sense of, God, you've let me down. You've let us down. The, the, the path that I had in mind for, for where things would go hasn't taken place. God hasn't come through. And so he says... There, in his prayer to God, verse 3, at the end of verse 3, take my life. He didn't follow, follow on with that hymn of and let it be. It was just take my life, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. There's, there's despair and despondency at its, at its worst, unfulfilled, demoralised, burnt out. And how does God act in this situation? I see God acting with incredible wisdom. Why would we be surprised at that? Um, because first of all, God allows Elijah to sleep. What a great way to help us get over despair and despondency, to have a recuperation time. And then he sends an angel, not with a fear not, I, I bring you good tidings of great joy, or nor um, you know, uh, repent um, and, and sin no more. Um, no, the angel comes and cooks a meal and actually cooks that, that bread on hot stones. I mean, what? What a beautiful, what beautiful bread that would be. Um, nothing like, um, nothing like, well, in Fiji we have the lovo that's cooked on the hot stones. I mean, that tastes good, doesn't it? Super good. Yeah. And, and so for, for Elijah, this, the smell of it, you know, wafting across, he wouldn't have had to look far to, to find that baked bread and the thirst quenching water that was there. Incredibly refreshing. For him. Not once did this angel do it, but twice. Just a double, just a double recognition that 
hey, I'm with you. God's with you, um, Elijah. Through this despondency, through the despair that, you, that you're facing, um, you're not there alone. I'm with you. And, and I love what it says there. The second time the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, verse 7, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. What? He, he knew what Elijah was, where Elijah was headed. And, and it really hit home to me that, you know, Psalms 139 talks about, you know my thoughts, um, even, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. And it, it goes on to say, you go before me and you follow me. Um, such an incredible God that you and I have um, who's, who's constantly there for us, knows our thoughts, knows when we're in despair and is there for us regardless. What a God. <laughs> so you'll need it for the journey ahead. And the angel of the Lord attends to his needs, his body, mind and spirit needs. Is it any wonder that God understands our needs with being our creator God, the one who made us, surely the one who knows us? That passage of scripture, um, Peter from um, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, talks about Jesus being our creator God. Uh, he knows us. And I love that, um, that gospel uh, song, Amazing Grace. He looked beyond my faults. And saw my needs. He sees our needs. How um, you and I relate to those who are going through a tough time in life says a lot about our worldview. What's our picture of what life's about? A, a, a scientific worldview would say for someone going through despondency or despair, take these tablets and then just get on with it. A moralistic perspective would take on board that uh, you need to pray about it more. Your, your prayer life isn't right. You need to have more faith for the journey. And a psychological worldview would, would say, let's just talk about it. You have the solution within you. <laughs> God caters not just for the physical, but for the spiritual and our mental needs as well as well as our relational. Notice what the angel first did? Probably more a, 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 like Jesus with the leper, touches. And that's the touch of God there for Elijah. The, uh, the relational needs, encourages on the journey. And so you see God operating in a multidisciplinary way, uh, right across you know, our, our physical, spiritual and mental needs. And I love the way that there's an encouragement of, um, of Elijah in the journey that he's, that he's to face. And so he doesn't just try and, and solve the problem there and then for Elijah. He realises that there's a journey that Elijah needs to have in order to, for, 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 for him to really come to a, a, the, the solution, the ultimate solution that's there for him. He doesn't try and shortchange that process for Elijah. And I love that about God. He lets, us, he lets us work through a process of discovery, learning. 
And so Elijah travels for 40 days and nights to, um, and some of your translations had Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. And he finds a cave there and he, um, and he hides in that cave. Who else do you know that went up Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb? Yeah, Moses. And Moses up there on, on Mount Sinai wanted to see God's presence. And, and God hid him in the, what, what was called the cleft of a rock, like a cave. And there are some commentators that say that the, the cave that Elijah found was the same cave that, that Moses um, had, had been in. And a, a similar experience takes place where there's a discovery of uh, a, a, a real um, sense of God's presence. Notice in verse 9, the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, you know, intonation um, says a lot. Um, you, you know, you could say it like, what are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, it says it quite differently, doesn't it, to what are you doing here, Elijah? And I suspect it's the latter. Because when God asks a question, it's not that he's, he's, he's wanting to come up with the answer straight away, but there's, he, he's wanting us to work through what's going on. And it's an invitation for an openness on our part. And, and isn't it amazing the way that God then listens to Elijah um, sharing What's, what, how he feels uh, life is going for him. You know, when the... Um, yeah, I love this quote. When the focus of our religion becomes about what we do instead of what God does, we lose the high calling into his kingdom of grace that he so desires for us. And that's what was taking place for Elijah here. He's all focused on, 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 on what's doing around him and, and, and what's, what's not happening, rather than honing in on recognising that God is above all, that he's on his throne and he could put his, his trust and confidence in him. Elijah had tried to put God into the box of his own making, but... Um, God has, has other, other things and plans in, in mind for him. And herein, I think, is the gospel in its essence. You know, here's Elijah, this, this prophet of God, um, thinking, um, thinking so, thoughts that, that aren't focused on God, thinking about himself and his own situation. And, and he's human like the rest of us. And even in his humanness, God is full of grace. That's the gospel. That's the, that's, that's the essence of the gospel. The enormity of our sin, but the immeasurable enormity of, of the grace of God that's there for us. Um, you know, the, the Ephesians 3, uh, 16 to 19 talks about the, how immeasurably great the love of God is that's there for us. You, you know, the, the height, the, the depth, the, the length and the width, you, know, you, you can't come to the end of it. 
Um, that's, that's the gospel, the good news of our salvation in Jesus, that, um, that God's grace is so enormous that, can, that it can take us, take us in and absorb um, whatever um, dis, dysfunction um, we, we are going through in our lives. And so in verse 11, God says to Moses, to Moses uh, God says to Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And so we have this enormous, we need the, the noise again, Len. Um, <laughs> this enormous wind that, that, that uh, and must have been, it must have been a scary experience for Elijah to, to have this, the enormity of, of these elements uh, taking place around, around him. But God wasn't there in each of those. Now, can God be there in the wind? Yes, he can. Can he be in the, in the fire? Absolutely. We've just seen that um, in, in, in the previous experience that Elijah had. Um, can he be in the earthquake? Yes, he can. And, and, and yet he's not. And it's amazing how God acts in different situations and for different needs in different ways. And what Elijah needed at the time was not these enormous, this, this enormous fireworks display, but what he needed was the still small voice speaking into his heart because there's, there's nothing greater than that still small voice uh, speaking into our hearts. There's, um, this is the experience of the Israelites on, on, on around Mount Sinai when Moses uh, was, was going up the mountain. And on the morning of the third day, the thunder roared and the lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. And there was a long, loud blast from the ram's horn and, and the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain and all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke like fire because the Lord had descended on it um, in the form of, of fire. And the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a, a brick kiln. Uh, I wonder why they mentioned a brick kiln. That's where they'd come from, hadn't they? They knew what brick kilns were like. And the whole mountain shook violently. What an incredible display of God's glory there on that mountain. So yes, God certainly can be in the, each of those expressions. But to come in that still, quiet voice speaking to Elijah. What did Elijah do? He covered his head with his cloth because he recognised the holiness of God. He was in the presence of the, of the holy God. How could, he, how could he possibly be looking into God's eyes? And so he covers his head, recognising that incredible holiness. So yes, sometimes there's fireworks, but the deep transformation of the heart takes place in our lives when we attend to God's quiet whisper in the intimacy of just you 
and God. You and his word. Let's be less focused on dissecting scripture and letting scripture intersect with our lives. Let's be open to the voice of God speaking into our hearts as we come to scripture. There's the challenge that's there for us from this story. Why was Elijah able to survive the earthquake, the wind and the fire? These elements that are used as symbols of judgment. Elijah survived because the rock was there. He was, went back into the cleft of that rock. But not only the, the physical rock, but the rock was there with him. The one who is our rock. Psalms 27 talks about the Lord is my rock and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? So Elijah needed to fear no more. Had no need, rather, for any, any more fear or despair because the recognition that really seeped into his very deep being was that God was with him regardless. And God goes on to share with Elijah what he wants him to do. And so Elijah goes on his, on his way, following God's leading, recognising that God was in control and that he no longer needed to think in the, in, in the path that he thought God should be acting. And that God could be acting way bigger and above anything that he could comprehend himself, even using a king outside of Israel and Judah to bring about his purposes. So um, Elijah was able to survive those elements because that rock was with him. And I want to share with you, just in closing, another mountain. It was the Mount of Transfiguration. And there you have Jesus and Moses and Elijah. You look at Elijah and Moses and they had both experienced very similar things right at the end of their lives. Moses had struck the rock thinking it was about, he was so frustrated that the, the people of Israel hadn't followed God's ways. Very similar experience. And yet the God of grace was with both Moses and Elijah. In so much so that... Um, they came back. They came back to visit with Jesus there on that mountain. And all with mountaintop experiences sharing together. And Elijah and Moses, out of their experience of God's grace in their lives, were able to provide an incredible encouragement to Jesus in not despairing and giving up on his onward journey to the cross where he was able to be that rock who bore all our judgment and shame that you and I might have, have eternal life that was his. What an ex incredible, um, in, in, incredible illustration of through despair through despondency, is a God who shows incredible grace. And out of that, out of experiencing that grace, 
Elijah is able to give back to Jesus that same, um, that same graciousness and encouragement on his journey. My friends, I don't know where your journey's at in your life. Some of you may be facing discouragement and despair in your lives. But I just want to encourage you to know from the story of Elijah that God is with you on your journey. And um, irrespective of what's ahead for you in that journey, God is with you. He will be there as a source of encouragement and strength along the path of that journey. And I know that the end that we have with Jesus' return, it will be a, a wonderful end to that journey. Of it. Well, it'll be a new start <laughs> to that journey with God, won't it?